Welcome to the People Doing Good podcast. I'm Mariah Volk. And I'm Jerry Robinson. And today, Jerry and I are back in a park. I have decided that (laughs) (laughs) I enjoy recording in a park with Jerry and we're on a picnic bench and we've got this equipment that's mobile so we can really go wherever we want. And instead of being in a small room, being outside, we live in California, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's a little chilly today. Jerry yeah, says he's cold. I, I, it's a little chilly because I just got back from Palm Desert oh. down there and it's a lot warmer in Palm Desert. Uh, I was at uh, the beautiful Portola Country Club uh, golf course with our good friends Rick and Karen Anderson. How nice. And so there's a big difference between Palm Desert and Sebastopol out here, but it is absolutely beautiful. You can hear the wind blowing through the trees. There's dogs over there getting acquainted with each other. They're barking, they're chasing each other. They don't know which way to go. Now look at them, now they're enjoying themselves. It's just great to be outside, and it's great to be here. Dogs over there getting acquainted with each other. Yeah, they are. They're just barking, y'all. That's all they're doing. They're just running around. <laughs> Stop it. Anyway, yeah. yeah, it's nice to be in the park. And uh, you know what? By the way, let me yeah. say something about okay. Palm Desert. I had an experience. I don't know if, if 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 you have, but if you haven't, you need to go to down to Palm Springs to the Palm Springs Aerial Tramway. Aerial Tramway. Aerial Tramway. Tell us about it. Let me tell you about it. You start at the <laughs> bottom of the desert, okay, yeah. and then. You get on a tram that was built back, I think it was 1960-something, and you go from the desert floor to 8,300 feet in the sky. 8,300 yeah. feet. Yeah, 8,300 feet. Now, that's a big difference. So when we got up to the top, it was like 90 degrees down below, but when we got to the top of the, uh, top of the tram, it was 42 degrees. Oh so what an experience, riding up this tram. You're on this cable, and you're rolling, and all of a sudden, the floor starts to rotate, revolve around, so you get the view. You get a view of everything. It's an 11 minute, 11 minute ride, and I was pretty cool with it. Like, oh wow, head up to the heavens, and all of a sudden we passed one of the towers. There's a couple of towers there, and the tram started to rock, and it started to go forward and backwards, and it was like being in turbulence in the airplane. But you're not in the plane. You're in a tram, a little round thing with 80 people in it. And people couldn't see it, but I turned white. I was white as the rest <laughs> of those people in there. But anyway, it was exciting. It was it was very good. It was exciting to be able to do something I haven't been able to do. I'm scared of heights. I really am. So you overcame a fear. Yeah. Actually, I overcame a fear, and it was a beautiful fear. And if you're ever in Palm Springs, people, please check out the, uh, go to the aerial tramway. Because when you get up to the top, there's a great restaurant there. You overlook the Coachella Valley. And you can go hiking if you want to. You can sit there and have dinner, lunch, or whatever it was, and uh, whatever you want to do. But it was really good. It was good to be up there, but it's great to be back on the ground. Did you get a picture? Is there a photo of you up there? Because I'd like to see that. Maybe we can share it in our show notes. For you know what? I, I just happened to have a couple of those. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, I'm a few shades lighter. <laughs> no, just kidding. But anyway, it was, a, really great, it was a it was a great experience. I know you and your kids would like it. You and Ernesto would like it, and the boys would love it because it's a great experience because you get to see the beautiful, the rocks and the mountains, how it changes colors, and 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 the thought of that, you know, food from the top, it has to be brought down to the bottom, and everything in the bathroom has to. So you know, it's like I'm saying that because. There's no station up there where they, they probably store stuff, this and that, but it does come a time they got to bring food. They got to bring food up there, you know, the, the, the food and the beverages. Right. And they got to make sure everything is clean. And it's just, it's an amazing thing for me because I did something that 
I am afraid of heights, you know, and I act like I was all brave and stuff, but, you know, but the best part of it was I enjoyed it very much, but I think coming back down because I knew I was getting closer to the bottom, yeah. that was pretty exciting. <laughs> relief. Yeah, relief. Well, good. That's cool, anyway. Jerry. We had a, it was Mother's Day weekend, Yeah. and yesterday I took my two boys out to my favorite restaurant in Bodega, Fishitarian. If you're out there listening, you can be a sponsor of this podcast too. I love your clam chowder. Um, but no, I took him out and we were right on the bay and had some clam chowder. I drove around Bodega and just looked at all the beauty out there. Mm-hmm. I love Bodega Bay. And then I took my boys to see Shazam. Shazam? Yeah. It was okay. a super fun movie, superhero movie, totally up the alley. My boys are 13 and 12. So this was right in their wheelhouse. It was, it was in mine too. It was Fun, yeah, cute you, movie. You still a kid? Yeah, it was good. So it was a great Mother's Day. Good. Well, I'm glad you had a great Mother's Day. You Thank know. you, Jerry. I mean, I, Mother's Day is it's exciting to me. It, it, I get happy about it, and then I get sad because I lost my mother several years ago. But Mother's Day, to me, brings back a happiness because I think every day should be a Mother's Day for yeah. me. Because... Women are stronger than men. Y'all, no, serious. Y'all, y'all handle things better than we do. Uh, <laughs> I have a lot of respect for women. I just think for women, I think is 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 important for people to understand. If you still have your mother with you, even though you may not even be some, not everybody is in good relationships with their parents. It's just that's just life. That's just the way it is. Your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, no matter where it may be. But we're talking about Mother's Day here. It's like you know what. If you're not speaking to them, start speaking to them. Yeah. You really, you really should. And I say that because, you know, you know, I live here in Santa Rosa and, you know, the cemetery where my mother, my brother, and my father are buried, you know, I go out and visit them. And when you roll up into that cemetery, it's real quiet because ain't nobody talking in there. Right. No one can say anything. You know, there's no more I love yous or, or God, good luck in this event or congratulations on the birth of this or that, whatever it is. You might have new children in, in your lives. So... Before they go, at least call and say, hello, mom, I love you. Or just, you may not even have to say I love you, but please communicate with your parents and your loved ones because when you're gone, you're gone. When it's over, it is over. And, uh... Let me ask you a question. Yeah. What is, when you think of your mother, Uh what was your favorite quality of your mother's? Do you have a favorite? Yeah, you know what? She was just so kind and giving and loving, um... My mother didn't drive. Um, she did uh, housework, house cleaning. She she would drive. Living in Santa Rosa, she would take a bus two or three times a week to go down to Marin County, which was like an hour away or so on a bus. She'd go there and she'd work and she'd come home and she'd make dinner, and she was always there for us. And it was like I knew as long as I had my mom in the stands with me, that's all I needed. That's all that's I needed so because. Sweet. To her, it didn't matter whether we won or lost. She just, it was important for her to be there. And I knew that no matter what happened on a football, basketball, baseball, diamond, whatever it was, no matter what the outcome was, especially if it was a, a loss or something bad had happened or I might have been involved in losing the game because I couldn't shoot free throws worth the darn, <laughs> I knew that when I got to my mom, she'd make everything okay. Aww. You know? What's, what was your mother's name? Manola. Manola. Yeah, M-I-N-O-L-A. Yeah. Well, bless Manola. you, Manola, wherever you are. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for Jerry. Uh, yeah, when we were out at Bodega, I brought some of my grandmother's ashes, and my grandmother was my biggest role, female role model mm-hmm. in terms of what I want to be like. Mm-hmm. Just funny as heck. 
so kind, so non-judgmental. You know, she didn't judge anyone. Uh, but we had some of our ashes with us, and I had my younger son throw some ashes out into the bay. Oh. I got a really cute picture of him doing that. He was, he was. They had a special bond, even though they didn't have a lot of time together on the earth. There uh-huh. was something. There. You know, they had a connection that was yeah. really sweet. I've got so many cute photos. But anyway. We're back into another week, and our podcast is getting more and more listeners. We're excited. Uh, Like I said last week, we have our first sponsor, and it is Community First Credit Union in Sebastopol. The branch manager at Community First Credit Union is Michelle, and this woman is unbelievably kind and passionate and helpful. They help the community a lot. When you walk into that credit union, you feel this warm vibe from their staff, and it doesn't feel like you're banking. It feels like you're visiting with some friends and, you know, exchanging a little cash here (laughs) and there. But thank you, Community First Credit Union. It means so much to have you on board and help us to spread these positive stories because right now we need positive stories more than ever in our society, in our world. And Jerry and I are just pretty stoked. And I think we're both, we feel grateful that we're able to be in a position to share these stories with you. Yeah, you know what, and also it, we feel good, I feel good about the fact that the word is getting out through our podcast and yeah. people are finding out that, you know what, the story's about people doing good. Oh God, I get e- I'm getting emails. <laughs> I got a phone call the other day and I need to call, if she's out there listening, uh, I got a little busy, but I got a call from a woman who said, you know, I don't have a smartphone and I want to share with my book club about your positive news. I read about you in the paper a few weeks back. So we will get back to you and share with you how to listen to a podcast if you don't have, um, you know, the most current uh, iPhones and such because there are ways to do so. Uh, But anyway, we should probably, Jerry and I could talk forever, but we have people that need to share their stories. And our next guest, this woman just blew my mind and I knew I've known her for a while but sitting down with her to talk about her nonprofit the series project was really enlightening and her name is Catherine Couch and Jerry yes y'all sit back relax enjoy it you're going to 100% 100% enjoy this conversation with Catherine Couch Welcome to the program, Catherine Couch, founder of The Series Project. We basically are here to speak with Catherine about, first, how it all began, like like how, like the very beginning stages of this. Can you share with us? I would love to. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm excited to be talking to both of you. Um, So Series started actually 13 years ago this summer, um, and the backstory is my riding instructor called me up one day. I'm, I'm along with my interest in food and health. I have a long time interest in dressage and have trained dressage horses and taught dressage. And my riding instructor called me up in the summer of 2006 and said to me, my daughter Megan needs a job this summer and I want her to learn how to cook and I want you to hire her. Well, there's a problem with that combination of sentences. <laughs> so it's hard to hire someone for a catering job or a chef job who actually doesn't even know how to light a stove or use a knife. And, um, and so I was a little put off. Um, and this mom was, was very insistent, like she just would not let go of this idea. And so we kept having these conversations. And, and finally, one day I clicked on, um, I said to her, you know, maybe we should just cook meals for the homeless shelter. 
And as soon as I said that, I remembered that a friend of mine was helping a family in Sebastopol where the mom was stage four metastasized breast cancer and they had an 11 and 13 year old and, and not a lot of money. The, the, fam the community had done a fundraiser for her. And so I went home and I said to my friend, you know, would this family, do you think this family would like some food support? And of course the answer was yes. And we found two other families, a single woman in her 60s who was going through breast cancer treatment and a man who'd had a stroke and his wife had left him. And so I put a project together um, for, for seven weeks. This teen and I, who I'd never met before, got together one afternoon a week and we made bags of meals for these three families. And in my previous life, I had, I had founded and run a for-profit home-delivered meal service um, serving Auburn and Sonoma County that I'd run for 10 years. So I had... I had that in my back pocket and I was working as a chef at the time. Um, and the first day that Megan and I cooked for that family, the dad stopped by to pick up the meals because it was on his way home. And we were walking out of the house, to, you know, with these bags. And I'd also never met him. So I introduced myself and I introduced Megan. And I we started talking about what we had made. And, um, you know, now and of course, uh, kind of anyone our age who's who's ever been around anyone going through illness, we know kind of what the stress of that situation is. And for the parent who's well, you're not only caretaking, you're not only working, but you're also really trying to keep some semblance of normalcy for the family and especially for children. And and really, in the background, everyone is terrified. I mean, that's just the reality. So we're talking. I was just talking about what we'd made, and, and you could just see the relief in his whole being. And in that moment, I happened to glance over at Megan, and she looked like she was six inches taller. And and literally, the moment came and went. But three weeks later, I woke up at six thirty in the morning, and I basically had a download of bringing these pieces together. And I have a long interest in food and health, and um, we know that when people get sick. Um, eating well is, becomes more important than ever, and there's all kinds of other pressures. People don't feel well, and it tends to go to the bottom of the list. And we're raising a generation of young people who don't know where food comes from and don't know how to make a healthy meal from scratch. And that is terrifying when you think about the impact of those things on health and well-being long-term. So it felt like this amazing thing to be able to bring those two things together so what we essentially do is we bring teenagers into commercial kitchens and organic food production gardens, and they serve as the primary gardeners and chefs. And um, collectively, they make about 110,000 100% organic me medically tailored meals a year that go to hundreds of families in um, these two counties um, to, who are dealing with a, a life-threatening illness, either, and it can be any family member. So we've served um, children as young as six months old, um, up to people who are 94. That's wow. A, yeah. So is Megan, the girl who needed the job originally, is she still involved in the organization? Oh, no, no, that's, you know, that's, that's a way 13 past. years ago. Yeah, wow. she went off to college and, you know, that was, that was my one, Megan and I had seven weeks of doing that and that I never saw her before that and I never saw her after. So, so she still knows a part of how it all started. Absolutely, you know, her, absolutely. Her and that, I mean, it's amazing. The universe works in really interesting ways, you know. I was actually turning left from Fulton onto 12 when I got that phone call. That's so funny. You say that you knew where you were. I knew, Because yes. I talked about when I, started the, when I was starting the podcast, I was going to meet him, and I was pulling out a Rotten Robbie when yeah. I thought, doing good. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. You remember having so those, those moments, yeah, the light sure. bulb moments. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you, the, the kids, I find this fascinating. The kids that are that are preparing these meals and they're learning about mm -hmm. how healthy food really makes a big difference. Yep. I can just imagine the joy 
that yeah. probably come to these kids absolutely once they complete a meal or, or work together to know that they're doing something good yeah yeah and you know what so I, I think there's a couple things and I I don't take credit for the idea for series I, I really feel like I, I downloaded something um, that this was meant to happen and, and the universe was like she could do it <laughs> um, so I, I think of myself and I think of all of us at series as we're shepherding something mm -hmm. into existence that really wants to happen and so we're learning all the time and so what we do now is really 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 different than what we did 12 mm -hmm. or 13 years ago because um, it continues to grow and evolve but what's really interesting I think is People who've been diagnosed with a serious illness and teenagers are probably more open to changing their diet than almost anyone else, but for really, really different reasons. So if you think about teenagers, that is the moment, 14 to 19, that's the moment when young people are leaving their family of origin. They're starting to step out into the world. They're realizing the way my family does it is not the mm -hmm. only way. And the big question at that moment is, what are my values and how do I put those values into action? And how do I find my, my own authentic belonging as part of the larger community? And as a society, we are doing a terrible job of providing authentic opportunities for young people to feel into what that is. And that's essentially what we provide at Ceres. Now, they're also all learning how to cook and eat kale, but, <laughs> but that is not the transformational thing we do, right? So we engage 450 young people from 65 schools every year the average kid is with us for 60 weeks and 30% of them for one to four years. And we are giving them the most important job in the organization, growing the food and actually making the meals and treating them as authentic owners in the organization, not helpers. So we have a leadership development program. So young people come in, um, you know, they start right away with whatever the jobs are. Existing teen leaders train them, orient them to the mm -hmm. kitchen and train them. Um, at six months, if they're going to stay, they get a green apron with their name on it. So if you're a new kid, you know that that kid with the green apron probably has the answer to the question or can help you. And then at a year, if they're interested, they can apply to be part of our teen leader program. And there's a whole self-evaluation process they go through and meetings with existing teen leaders and staff, and they get chef codes. And they're really considered peer teachers and role models in the program. So what we've built over time is, is, a, is really a self-managing space in which young people are really, really doing everything. And, the, and there's always one staff and a couple of adult mentors on every shift, but there might be 18 kids there. And we're just there to help them, but they actually can lead every job, can run every job in the kitchen. And so that creates an opportunity for them to experience their, their own capacity, to develop leadership, to understand what it means to work as part of a team, to, to, to feel into authentically what does community mean and what does it look and feel like and why is it so important, to expand their definition of who's part of their community, which for me, I mean, you know, when I think about democracy, that's a fundamental skill that we need. We need to understand that people who don't look like us, who don't have the same socioeconomic background, whatever that is, that's our community too, and what does it mean to show up for them? Um, and they, they build self-confidence, they build yeah. self-esteem, and they feel into like, who am I out in this bigger mm -hmm. world? And one of the things that, you know, we, we, have a, um, we do a lot of program evaluation at, at Ceres, and 58% of our alumni are studying or working in fields related to our work, and 60% of them said their time at Ceres was instrumental in that. And I think one of the things that happens, you know, if you think about that age, there's a lot of social pressure at that mm -hmm. age group, and, and, you, and you can become very self-focused. When kids come to series, their cell phone gets left at the door. 
we have a saying on the wall that's like, be warm and welcoming to all, look for what's needed and, and do it, um, put love and passion into everything. We used to say the food, but now that one of the teens crossed it out and everything. <laughs> um, and so we've created this very positive, respectful, kind, high-functioning culture and it's real and authentic and they get to make a difference for others. And so there's a, there's a longing, all of us as humans have a longing for that, right? Um, but that age group, it's there's, I think for young people, they walk in and there's such freedom from the social pressure in the series environment. And the light bulb that goes off for them is, oh my gosh, there's a big world out there. And, I, and there's a lot of problems in that world and I can be part of the solution to that. And that's exciting. And that's, yeah. you know, that's powerful and that's transformational. Self-worth too. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. How, I'm curious, how would a, a, a young kid become part of the series at a young so, age? What, what do they have to do? Is it? Yep, we have, so all of our volunteers, we, we also work with about 650 adult volunteers a year. So we have a th more than a thousand volunteers in mm -hmm. our three program sites um, and about 50,000 volunteer hours a year. So we, have a big, so we have a big workforce, both staff and volunteers. So everybody starts at an orientation. We have orientations at every program site every month, and they have an application that they fill out. Um, the teens, we ask them to make a commitment of at least three hours a week for three months as a minimum. Mm -hmm. And that's really a youth development um, kind of staple is being clear about expectations and then holding them accountable for that. So if they don't show up for a shift that they've been scheduled for and they, they haven't communicated with us, we'll call them the next day and be like, hey, you were on the schedule, your team missed you, mm -hmm. what happened? And if that happens multiple times, we have the conversation that doesn't look like this actually fits in your world right now. We need to be able to count on you, come, you know, come back when you're ready to make the commitment. Accountability. So, yeah, accountability. <laughs> That's the basics of youth development, I mean, right, right there. So, you know, so we consider it a, a, like a real job. Mm -hmm. Scheduled, yeah. things have to happen, meals have to get done, clients are waiting for them. So it's a real work environment in that sense. And so the whole work readiness thing also, of course, happens. There's a young lady that I'm mentoring. You know, I work as a, a mentor and a trainer for kids that age. And mm. one of my girls started working for Ceres. And she'd been having some issues with confidence and where 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 is she in the world right now? Mm -hmm. 16 years old and not knowing who she is. And yeah. I she just got her food handler's license uh -huh. through you guys. Yeah. And she... Her confidence is increased. She feels like she, I just, guess what I just got, you know, yeah. she showed me and it yeah. was, you know, that sense of confidence yeah. and accomplishment and what you're doing for these kids is so important. Yeah. Amazing. Um, you have a garden out back here, right? Yep. So we you have an acre organic garden here and a third of an acre at our Santa Rosa program site. Yeah. And so you grow all of what you use in your food? Oh, no, no, no. Okay. Yeah. We, we you know, we're making 110,000 meals a year. So we, oh. we use a lot of food. Um, and But the gardens for us are, are more about being able to give young people what we call soil to community food system education. So having them understand where food comes from, why soil is important, all of the waste from our kitchens come back to the gardens as compost. We have compost piles. We have bees, we have chickens, we start all of our own seeds. So it's really about being able to, to tell the full story of food. Um, and we, we raise about six, five, five to 6,000 pounds of food. We also do bouquets of fresh flowers for all the clients year round. And so the kids so grow awesome. flowers and cards and things like that, yeah. I don't think you're leaving anything out here. Yeah. You know, it's covering a lot of well, ground. Well, you know, I, the other thing that I wanna say about our work is um, there's, a, there's some really compelling research about the connection between social connections and health outcomes. 
And basically what, what the research shows is that when we feel cared for and connected to others, which is a self-reported experience, we are 50% more likely to be alive an average of eight years later than if we don't. And if we feel isolated and disconnected, it's mm. worse for our health than being obese or smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's the research. And so when we think about health, um, there's, there's a lot that impacts our health that's outside of our control. But at the community level, two of the things we do have control over are helping people connect to healthy food and helping people connect to one another. So we view the series model as about both of those things. That's why we have such a big focus on volunteers. Um, but we're really about how do we bring people together in meaningful relationship with one another because we know that we know that that's good for everyone. So the really other interesting thing about our model is we're engaging youth and we have a whole youth development program and you could say that youth are, are clients of ours, right? Because we have programming that's aimed at them and we have all these client families we're helping who are also clients of ours. But the way that we think about it is nobody in our system, whether it's a donor, a community food donor, um, a client, a youth, an adult volunteer, nobody is only a giver or a receiver. Everybody is both, right? Because the clients, the clients, give, the clients come to us in their vulnerability and say, I need help. If they didn't do that, we wouldn't have a program that youth could be part of. Young people volunteer their time, and as a result, they get to make this difference for other people. So, and that's what community means, right? We're all giving and receiving, and we benefit no matter what side of that equation that we're on. So that's really, the whole piece around social connections is really fundamental to how we've designed our model. And, it's, and, it's, and we think of it in terms of, like, you know, we have a thousand volunteers now. I certainly don't know all of them, but somebody does. Mm -hmm. Someone knows that person's name. Someone welcomes them when they show up. Someone thanks them for what they're doing. Someone knows that their kid is graduating next month. And so everyone, there's intimacy all the way along the system. It's not, just, it's not that I have an intimate relationship with everyone, but every person in our system is intimately connected in that way. You know, Catherine, when I was starting my nonprofit, I sat here with you and I didn't know how to begin a nonprofit. I, I needed a mentor and a role model and everyone said, talk to Catherine Couch, she's the best. She knows what she's doing. <laughs> And one of the questions, I don't even remember what I asked you, but I remember the piece of advice you gave me. And you said, make sure that every single person in your organization, from the top down, if you look at it in that fashion, mm -hmm. believes in your mission, mm -hmm. every single person. Yep. And I never forgot that. Mm -hmm. And now in my organization, I have people who believe in the mission so much. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking behind you on the wall in your office, Series Strong, top yep. five strengths. It yep. says strategic achiever, relater, connectedness, and learner. Those are my strengths. Those are yours. We do strengths finders for all of our staff. So did, did yeah. your staff choose those for you or did no, you choose they, them for yourself? It's actually a, pro, a system that where, you, where um, everybody has inherent strengths and we've all identified them for ourselves and we know what other, each other's strengths are and we use that as a way of working together. I love but, that. Yeah, yeah. We need to yeah. do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling this. I mean, this needs to be taught universally I mean it needs to be taught in and this is a great teaching tool and method for for young kids not only young kids but the yep. young kids because like you said they're they're here yeah they're here and they're gonna be our future there mm -hmm. are yes they are and to be able to to be here this is awesome uh, this yeah. is I'm excited it makes me want to start you. cooking and yeah. I think <laughs> and I think we're really interested in empowering other organizations uh -huh. to think about how youth can be authentic 
leaders within them because again I feel like we're really missing the boat young people are longing for an opportunity to contribute in meaningful ways and that's how they figure out how they belong and mm-hmm. what their what their role is in the world mm-hmm. and we're just not doing a very good job no I agree it. overall I think inviting them in and not having this separation between us and them yep. we're all a part of the same community and you guys are doing a great job of that yep. uh, another question yep. I like to ask everyone that we interview and you may or may not have one but is there one particular person or situation within the people that you really helped in your organization that stands out to you or really hits your heart uh, more deeply than the others? And I know they're all yeah. meaningful. I know yeah. they all are, but if there's, I, I, there really, there really isn't, there really isn't one. Um, there's so many compilations of ones. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, and I think it's like choosing a favorite child. Yeah, I mean, you just can't do that. <laughs> yeah, um, but. You know, we've had we've had some we've definitely had some young people who were in really difficult circumstances um, that have been part of series. Um, that it, it's interesting. You know, this I mean, I'm, I'm remembering a kid who was part of series back in um, 2009 and 2010, and um, his he his mom had been a heroin addict. He got put into foster care really young. He was living with um, two men out in Guerneville, um, was being homeschooled because he just couldn't function in school, ADHD. Um, he found series. He actually, he took the bus from Guerneville two days a week. He would have come more if we would have let him, an hour and a half each way to volunteer. In his time at series, he made his first friend. He had his first sleepover. He got his first job. He had his first girlfriend. Um, and then when he was um, exited out of foster care and there was a disruption in, in the family that he'd been living with, we helped him get into a program at Treasure Island um, in culinary. And a, a couple of years ago, our a former associate executive director stepped down and we had a going away party for her. And one of our former chefs reached out to a whole bunch of kids and they all sent, like literally 40 kids sent video thank yous to her. And he's now in IT in Chicago. And, um, you know, I just, and he was real, he was a real challenge in the kitchen, Uh as, as you might imagine. And I used to say to the mentors, that's those are the kids we're here for right the, the high functioning ones that are great i was like oh she's a leader and you know that's great they're all gonna probably do fine it's it's the andrews that we're here for yeah so we have a lot of stories like that the kid and i think you know it, we have a really interesting span at series like kids who are you know i was 4.5 going to columbia pre-med yes. and then we have a lot of kids who who are who've never found a place to belong they're ones who are on the outside for a whole variety of reasons and and those are the kids who we make the biggest difference for because they're accepted at series and they find a place we have kids who've come out for the first time to at at teen leader retreat i mean all kinds of stories of um kids who when they first came in the adults um, the chefs and the and the adult mentors are like I don't know what I don't know what that kid's doing here or they're just standing around like they don't look like they're interested and a year later they're a teen leader I mean it, it's just <laughs> those are the stories that are both that are really inspiring to me that those are the kids that we are the, the place where they finally found belonging and that's what feels the most important you know I I, I love that because they get a chance to live 
they have a purpose when exactly. you when you when you get excited and you become yeah. passionate about yep. something it gives you a reason to live it yep. gives you a reason to get up the next that day that you matter yeah that you matter you that's matter. what it is that you matter we all want to matter yeah. that's mm-hmm. our deepest longing as humans we want to matter we yeah. and we need some place where where we can find that where yeah. we can where we do matter and where yeah. we can slot into that thing and that's what we provide for adults and teens and and this might be the and, first place and time in someone's life that they felt like mm-hmm. they mattered. Yeah. And that's huge what in, you're doing. In, in a bigger sense. way than their family, yeah. right? right? Right. In a bigger way than their family. For someone, you can make a positive effect in the community yeah. and in the world. Yeah. Yeah. You really can. Yeah. Yeah. You are making a difference. Yeah. So, the, I mean, I think the exciting thing for us now is um, we've replicated this model in a dozen communities around the country where the exact, really mm-hmm. the exact same thing that I'm talking about with the same feeling tone is happening, um, and now in Denmark. Mm-hmm. And um, and then the other big thing for us is we're now very involved statewide and nationally in the work to build reimbursement strategies for food within healthcare um, and to really expand access um, to healthy food as a, as a medical intervention in, in a really big way. Um, so that's, that's super exciting and something I never would have dreamed of 12 years ago. It's just become something quite amazing you know think about that moment you were on Fulton and whatever yeah yeah <laughs> and I was annoyed by the phone call you were irritated <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, I, but I, I you know and I think that you know one of my words of wisdom for people is um, I for, for whatever reason over my life I've learned to say yes in those mm-hmm. moments um, and to kind of trust the call that comes yeah. from the universe and and to not do that like, oh, I don't have time for that or like, oh, I don't have the skills for that or whatever, but to trust that call. And I think that's one of the most important things that we can do as humans is to trust the call that comes, whether it's mm-hmm. like in our belly or when you get that butterfly feeling to not move away from that, but to move into it. And, and just like, I didn't know what I was doing. I'd never started a nonprofit, yeah. you know, and I put my toe in the water and you just, you take one step forward. You just keep taking one step. And it's amazing to see what collectively as a community we can create. Cause obviously this isn't just me now, it's really like thousands of people have been involved in series. But I think that's the power of, that we all have the power to say yes to that call and and to and to share it and to invite people in to be part of it and collectively we can make miracles happen. You can and we can and you are. You just answer the call. And I think it's it answer the call, but I think it's being open. Yep. And and not being fearful of I've never done this before, I've never been here before. I just kind of taking that step like you said. Yeah. And you never know what where it will lead you. And I mean, for a year in two thousand seven, this was my one day a week volunteer project at the church across the street. Okay. Me and six kids cooking we started by cooking for four families. And at the end of that year we were cooking for ten. We probably had eight adult volunteers involved. And, you know, I was still working and doing everything else, but we just started and then Beginning of 2008, we added a second day. I cut back on my hours. A donor stepped forward and gave me a little money. And then just, you know, one thing after another. So part of the reason Jerry and I started our podcast was not only to share the stories of people doing good like you, but to inspire other people to believe that they can do it too. Absolutely. And you can. Yep, and you're absolutely. proof. Yes. And, you know, I've got examples of, of you know, 13 people around the country that, um, heard about our work somehow and and said, I I need to bring that to my community. And literally none of them have had ever done anything like this. None of them had ever started a nonprofit. And now they're all leading nonprofits in 
Nashville and Hartford, Connecticut and Grand Rapids, Michigan. And now they're on that journey too, just like I got on that journey. And the other thing you said that I can relate to that I think is amazing is you're, you don't take credit. You feel the, I don't know the word that you used. You can probably go back, but um, that you're channeling something else that came from somewhere else. You were kind of called upon to do this work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really, I just really, like, I woke up in the morning and I had this, like, download. That's what yeah, it felt like. Download is the, the word download. you use. Yeah, yeah. because and that I'm happened like, to me with Shoes for Kids. Yes, exactly. I felt and like then, I have to do this. It just, Yeah, but, it, like, download. where did the idea come from? It came You know, from I didn't, I wasn't sitting around saying, I want to start a nonprofit. I wonder <laughs> exactly. what the need is out there. No, it just it didn't came happen to you. Way. Exactly. And, and then so, you met it. And then I think the you know, again, like you said, to be in that um, humble place of not actually knowing what it's supposed to look like mm-hmm. and to learn and to learn from everybody. I mean, Ceres now lives in this big field and everyone who touches it is shaping it. We're learning all the time. We're learning from the teens and from the clients. How do we do it better? We're learning from our our community partners who, who do this work around the country. So we're part of a big ecosystem and we try to really pay attention. Our, and our number one goal is how do we how do we maximize impact? How do we how do we do the most good and do the least harm? Um, and and we're always going to be in service to that idea, and we're never going to reach we're never going to reach it. It's, so that's what keeps me interested and fascinated. Like it's always different. It's growing now, and evolving. Our work is compl- very very different in some fundamental ways than it was six months ago. Yeah. It's amazing. So Catherine, let me ask you a question. In two, was it 2016 when you got the CNN Heroes mm-hmm. Award? Tell me about that. That had to be. How did that feel? Uh, tell us about tell us about it first. I'm not so I'm not that big about awards. I know, but I mean, you we, know what? I feel Understand. really honored. We 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 have gotten a lot of awards yes. in series, um, and 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 those are great, but they're they're fleeting. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it happens, it goes away, um, you know, and then you're back. You're doing the work. You're, you're, you're back just at yeah, it again. You're just, just right. doing the work. So you know, of course, it was an honor, and yeah. and I think I think the important thing about it is things like that. Um, give us credibility um we all we all, we also got a james beer a giant uh, robert wood johnson foundation community health leaders award and those things give us credibility mm-hmm. and that helps us open doors right um so the cnn helped us open doors the state of california giving us and my colleagues six million dollars to do the first statewide medically tailored meal pilot that's allowed us to open a lot of doors so so now i mean what's interesting now is um you know, I just gave a presentation at the U- UC Davis Dean's Advisory Board to the College of Ag and Environmental Sciences. I'm now leading a food as medicine accelerator within Google's Food Innovation Lab. Um, I'm the vice chair of the California Food as Medicine Coalition. I spoke at CCOF's annual conference this year. Um, so those are the, the what the benefit of all that is it'll it's elevated our work we had a, a story on the full page a front page of the science section of the new york times last year about our work around medically tailored meals so those things elevate us and they allow us to sit at tables where we can influence the conversation and i'm really grateful that our board because none of those things come to the bottom line mm-hmm. they don't they don't help raise money but it's about fulfilling our mission and helping to shape the conversation that's happening statewide and nationally around food as medicine and around food quality standards, the importance of food that's sustainable. 
And my board has really supported me and us as an organization at making that a priority. And so we're part of two national coalitions, two statewide coalitions, three regional coalitions, um, and then and then Google's Food Innovation Lab, where we're able to have influence and to do networking across the ecosystem of, of food and health. And that that feels that feels really good. And things like CNN um, help to make our to get to they empower our voice mm -hmm. in in mm -hmm. those situations and that's that's the benefit of them really yeah. amazing so Catherine I can't thank you enough for taking the time to sit down with us and share all the amazing work you're doing I say amazing a lot but it's true that's it's amazing okay. and I'd like to say it's a real honor and a pleasure thank you to meet you. thank you it thank really you. is you're making a big difference in this world and in people's lives especially young people and yep. also those people that that need yeah what you have to give to them to yeah. extend their lives or give them a better life. And yeah. it's just a real pleasure. It's a real honor to be here in, in Sebastopol <laughs> series with Catherine. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Catherine. Catherine Couch, the series project. What an awesome lady and unbelievable organization that is making a difference in so many people's lives in so many different ways. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I think it's fantastic and it's awesome that what she has started has been picked up across the country and Denmark. Yeah. You know, that right it's there is international. international. And it came yeah. from her download moment. <laughs> I love that. I know. know. That's what it is. So people like her are so crucial in the world today um, because you can make a difference. And that's part of why we're doing our podcast is to share with all of you listening that you can do what Catherine did. You just have to believe in something, get behind it, put everything into it. And, you know, you can change the world. And just by sharing positive stories, we hope to be able to change a little bit and, and brighten someone's day and encourage them to get out there and do something good. Help someone out. And we'll have you on our podcast, too. Sure. So if you, again, know anyone in your community doing something good, please share the story with us. Our email is peopledoinggoodpodcast at gmail.com. We embrace all stories. It does not have to be someone who has founded a nonprofit organization. It can be your neighbor. Um, it can be the trash guy. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. It, it, you can do good in so many different ways. You know what? It could be you, too. A lot of times, no, really, there are a lot of people that, 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 that do good things that, you know, they're humble and they want people to know about. But you know what? Hey, hit us up on the email. Anyway, thanks again for listening to our podcast. We're excited to share another story with you next week. We've had some great interviews uh, lately. And gratitude goes to all of our listeners. Thank you very much. This was the People Doing Good podcast. People doing good. In your neighborhood. The Feel Good podcast. The People Doing Good podcast is brought to you by Shoes for Kids. For more info, visit shoesforkids.com. It is created and hosted by Mariah Volk and Jerry Robinson. Produced and edited by Charlene Goto of Goto Productions. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment wherever you get your podcast media. Follow on social media at One Good Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Email us at peopledoinggoodpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time.